the health minister seems to have his work cut out at the moment with COVID cases significantly higher, growing waiting lists in a number of areas and the fallout from the Ransom Tribunal. On Agenda Tonight, Minister Laurie Hooper joins me live to discuss a new three-year mandate for Manx Care and the Capacity Bill, which makes provision for the property, financial affairs, health and welfare of those who lack the capacity to deal with their own affairs. So, uh, Minister, um, great to have you on on the programme. before we get too far into the, the, the meat of what I've invited you here to talk about, which is primarily the capacity bill, um, there's quite a few uh, things been happening with uh, COVID of late. And I note that uh, the, um, there's a, a press release just come out to, from Manx Care to say mask wearing is being reintroduced in Manx Care settings um, only a couple of weeks after it was uh, taken out. So, so what's changed? So if you think back to uh, a lot of the infection control decisions that are made by uh, by Manx Care, they're based on uh, best available information, on best guidance and best practice, and that tends to be issued by bodies like the UK HSA. So in this instance, that body uh, changed its guidance more generally, universally, around mask wearing in healthcare, saying it was no longer... Uh, mandated by them in terms of it should be done everywhere and it's up to local trusts to make their own decisions uh, based on their own prevailing circumstances. And so obviously at the time... uh we weren't in the, the throes of a, a COVID wave. MaxCare made a decision based on the best available information they had at the time. Uh, and obviously things have, as you've just alluded to in your introduction, have changed. MaxCare um, made that clinical decision based on what they know to be the case, which is you know, clearly we're seeing more uh, instances of COVID now on the island. And the right thing to do to protect patients and staff is to reintroduce that mask wearing policy. So it, I, I think I gave evidence to the uh, Social Affairs Committee on Thursday last week. And at that point, I think I, the answer to a question was, where are you at with COVID? I said, I'm not overly concerned at this point but be aware things can change very very quickly uh, and as evidenced by the fact that four days later things have changed that, that's the nature of the beast unfortunately and, and with covid i mean no one is required to test themselves or to report test results no. anymore so uh, so how can how can we be uh, how can you as a government be aware of where we're at with covid i mean obviously when we did have to test it was very obvious um, but now um, it's kind of to know, winging the prayer stuff. So there is still a lot of voluntary testing going on, uh, at least for the rest of this month. You know, lateral flow tests are still free, uh, and the, the advice is to test if you're going to you know, visit someone who may be vulnerable or if you're going into a care home, some places re- will require it. Uh, but actually, healthcare workers themselves are still required to test regularly, So as well as the surveillance work that, that goes on to the people that do choose to test and report, and that's obviously seen an uptick itself. Uh, we're seeing cases actually through healthcare staffing as well, so that, that's to, uh, one of the big pressures on Max Care. It has been throughout the pandemic is when you have staff actually who are the ones uh, testing positive for COVID and they then can't obviously go into work uh, and care for others which makes a lot of sense so really from a a Manx care and health department perspective it's not necessarily the number of COVID cases right now that are the the driving force behind this decision it will be how is this impacting on staff how is it impacting on services that's that's a more important question for Manx care right now uh, and that really is what's driving some of their decision making. Because of course uh that that's the, the the driver now for 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 your department and for Manx Care. Um, whereas in the past you, there was concern, significant concern, uh, when we, most of us weren't yeah. vaccinated, that uh, uh, you know deaths and and serious uh, illness could could ensue. Uh, that's not so big a, a, a concern now. 
Yeah, it, it is still a concern because I think whilst uh, it, I think it's widely accepted that the current variations are milder than, than the previous ones uh, because they're very transmissible. You know, you get X thousand cases, there are going to be people that, that end up in hospital. And so we still want to keep case numbers down, uh, absolutely. But the driving force behind our decision making at the moment is most definitely around pressure on services. Uh, well, moving on then, um, one of the things that uh, you're, you're going to be doing uh, this week is uh, moving a general debate on the mandate for Manx Care. Now, I had a, a little mm-hmm. read through the mandate for Manx Care uh, with the, the eyes of, of, of a member of the public or the, uh, as a patient. Uh, there were 11 objectives, three of which seemed to have um, some, some level of reference to to uh, providing services to people who need them. Uh, the rest seemed like warm words and management speak. So uh, what is the purpose of this uh, mandate? So if you go back to the Manx Care Act, um, the purpose of the mandate is to essentially delegate services, uh, service provision to Manx Care. So under the Manx Care Act, Manx Care are required to perform any services uh, that the department says you've got to perform. We do that through the mandate process. Uh, otherwise, all the, the functions legally still sit with the department. Um, the, the flexibility that gives you is if Manx Care aren't providing a service, you can essentially withdraw that and, and commission another person to do it instead. I'm not sure how that would work in practice, which is a point I raised actually during the, the Manx Care Act debates themselves. But that's the main purpose of it, is to say, look, these are all the services you've got to provide. So there is a section in, in the mandate which is just a list of all the various services. And I think, as you've already pointed out, uh, anyone who's eagle-eyed reading it will note that not every service line has objectives attached to it, because actually there is a level of business as usual. You, you will provide a dentistry service, you will provide an ophthalmology service, that doesn't need to necessarily go into uh, reams and reams of detail about how you do that because that's one of the reasons to having an arms care body is to let them uh, make decisions around that especially if they're clinical decisions or medical decisions really those should be made by clinicians essentially so the objectives in the mandate are uh, designed to try and steer the development of those services so anything that's of a particular priority uh, so for example the first objective talks about covid uh, and vaccines and the 111 service and actually that stuff that maybe is a bit out of the norm and does need a little bit more direction um the core of the mandate though it's based on some quite important principles so in the some stuff isn't in there because it actually is so well accepted and so embedded into the system that you don't need to you don't need to spell it out you don't need to explain it to the nth degree and one of those things is around putting patients first so one of the core principles of the nhs is that patients should be at the heart of everything that you do that is a principle that's been reaffirmed by timwald timwald agrees with that uh, that principle and really there's no need to then spell it out time and time and time again because it's just something that should be there as a core level of, of everything that we do so manx care c- can't turn around then and say well you, you didn't say that in the mandate therefore we're not going to do it no nope. like i say some of those things are quite well established uh, principles uh, it is referenced in the mandate in my foreword actually but uh, yes for, for the for want of a better phrase it's 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 embedded you know and i think if manx care did for some reason decide they didn't want to put patients first i can't imagine for a moment they would uh, then there would be serious conversations had around why they want to do that and uh, the inappropriateness of such a, a position but from uh, the conversations and my experience of the last kind of nine months is uh, manx care are actually quite committed to delivering on the things that are in there and so the development of for example an me service which is referenced actually some of those kind of pieces of work are, are close to the heart i think of what manx care are trying to do and that's kind of the purpose of the the debate 
debate that I'm hoping that I'm bringing to Timwall tomorrow that I'm hoping members will engage with. It's really about saying, well, if the mandate is about priorities, which that's what it is at its most basic, uh, what should those priorities be for the next three years? Uh, you know, the first year mandate for Manx Care was developed by the Health Department. And this one was developed a bit more in collaboration, I think, between the Manx Care and DHSC. But I would very much like the, the, the third iteration, something that I would like to think is more what the final version of a mandate will look like, uh, which will span a number of years rather than being an annual process. Uh, I'd like to think that can be driven by, by Timwald in, in a lot of ways, uh, because ultimately Timwald is who we, we work for. Timwald works for the public, uh, and that's the mechanism we should use. So I, I'm quite looking forward, actually, to seeing what, what members think about and, and, its priorities. And it's a general debate, isn't it, which... Um for those old hands like myself uh, is is a a relatively new thing and and basically that means that you're not asking Timwell to approve anything you're not seeking uh, a a, a particular objective from your uh, debate this is a a general debate which allows members to to share their views yeah, so originally we did think about, should we table this for a motion to say, you know, Timwald approves a three-year mandate? Uh, the problem with that, though, as you know yourself, is members may get tied up in, in the minutiae of the wording of that and you'll get amendments flying around all over the place. Uh, and also, actually, it did feel a bit strange to be going back and asking permission for something that you fundamentally know is the right thing to do. Uh, and so we actually came to the decision that, you know what, the right thing to do is the purpose of this is to get feedback, is to listen to members about what they think, about what their constituents might think, and then to be able to take all that on board and produce a mandate document that actually reflects uh, some or all of that of that debate as well and so I'd, I'm not sure that having a, an actual affirmative motion at the end of it is, is necessary actually I mean the mandate itself will go through a, a development process we'll engage with Manx care with the with the organization uh, that sits underneath the board with with the Department of Health with members with the public hopefully it will be a, a, a a longer process, but I uh, figured kicking it off with a, an open, uh, let's hear all the uh, all the suggestions and issues and thoughts anybody might have and uh, get it all out in the open as well. We've had these conversations in the media about secret briefings in the past, and actually there's there's, a, there's probably a place, or there is definitely a place for, for things to be done in that way, but something like this that very much is all about the public interest. Um, there's no reason to have this, not to have this debate completely in a, in a frank and open way in public. So, And, and it's a three-year mandate, and yet... Um I can't imagine there'd be anybody left on the Isle of Man who's not aware of the uh, the the, the uh, out uh, what's the word I'm looking for fallout from from the Ranson uh, tribunal uh, findings. Um, presumably, as as more uh, is, is revealed in relation to to all of that, as further investigations take place, um, the the relationship between the department and Manx Care may well change uh, as, as a result uh, of some of the recommendations that may come forward. So um, is, it, is it right to, to be effectively with a three-year uh, mandate? Um, it's, it's, we're going to have to wait for three years before we can introduce new, uh, new changes. No, so, so strictly speaking, the mandate is an annual process. That's the way the Manx Care Act sets it out. And I, I don't intend to change the law. I, I think that's a sensible approach. Uh, but I think if you go and talk to any business owner, uh, nobody works on a year-by-year basis. Everyone plans a few years into the future, uh, as far forward as you realistically can, actually, because you need a bit of certainty. So if you sign contracts, you tend to go for, can I get a two or 
three-year deal here rather than having to, to do it all on a 12-monthly basis. And that's kind of the purpose of this, really, is to say we want to set out a general direction of travel to give Max Care as an organisation some clarity about what is expected of them over the next three years, and especially when you're talking about health and the amount of time it takes to steer the ship. Uh, you do need a lead-in time for some of this stuff. But, uh, but the reality is, of course, things will change. You know, COVID wasn't expected. Uh, and if we have something else that comes out of the woodwork, we need to be able to react to that. And so that the mandate itself will still be very much a flexible uh, arrangement. Um, but I think it needs to be more forward-looking and a bit more strategic than we currently do. Uh, it, I don't think it can sit still, you know, and this idea that year by year you can just, uh, you can plan on an annual 12-month basis, I just think is, I, well, I said this during the Max Care debate uh, as well when we were bringing the Act through, I just don't think that's realistic. I mean, if you look at the law, Max Care is required to prepare a three-year operational plan. So on the one hand, the law says you've got to do a three-year plan for what you're going to deliver, but actually the mandate is only a year long. So you don't know what Tim Ward needs you to deliver in year two, but you've got to plan for it anyway. And that just makes no sense. And in a nutshell, the highlights, what, what's um, the, the average person going to see uh, that's going to change as, as a result of this uh, mandate? So the hope would be uh, that the mandate and the accompanying assurance uh, framework that we're building inside the department, which we are going to be publishing actually in a matter of weeks uh, to show a lot of the metrics um, that we, we're going to be tracking on the island, things like waiting times, for example, is that by the end of this administration, so by the end of that period, uh, you will see, my hope is, shorter waiting lists, shorter waiting times, not just for surgeries, but for things like GPs. Uh, you'll see more care delivered uh, by primary care, so that's less hospital visits and more care in the community. Um, and obviously you'll see things, uh, I'm hoping one of the things that's in the current mandate that we'll expand on is an expansion of the 111 service. So 111 at the moment is very much a COVID information line, but uh, I don't see why it can't be more like the UK's 111 service, which is a more generic helpline for all things medical, rather than overloading GPs or pharmacists. Actually, if we can have a team that's there to provide support and guidance and signposting, why shouldn't we do that? Uh, so there's a lot of really positive stuff, I think, that you'll start seeing to develop now over the next couple of years, but it is very much driven by well actually does Tim Ward want us to do those things is Tim Ward going to support the primary care at scale model is Tim Ward going to support a, a more comprehensive web and online presence or, or actually is that not the approach they want us to take I'm sure they will I'm sure everyone will be on board with the direction of travel but then it, the question comes down to to nuance then actually should we put more priority on the mental health services or is it children's services or, or which areas are it that are the biggest issues for people and that I'm hoping will come out of the debate tomorrow and, and of course um, you you on record in, in, in the last few days I think in saying that actually that the budget that you have isn't enough and you, you were talking as well about maybe looking at a three-year budget uh, which um, it's nothing new it's been yeah. tried before and then uh, for whatever reason it seems to have been dropped but uh, um, is there much uh, willingness to, to listen from your Ramsey colleague, the Treasury Minister? I, I think so. So actually the previous Treasury Minister, again, we had conversations about this and tied in with this. If you're going to ask Manx Care to plan for three years and mandate for three years, well, surely they need an indication of how much money they're going to have over three years. Um, again, we're restricted a bit by the Timwald budget process, which is annual, so we can't uh, make a firm budgetary commitment for X number of years. That's not the way it works. You know that yourself. But there are mechanisms that we can use 
just to uh, allow Manx Care to be a bit more flexible with how they draw money down. Um, and that is, I've been referring to it as a three-year funding deal, um, but I think it's a bit a bit simpler than that in some respects. I'm hoping it'll be some kind of fund. Uh, but in essence, it's designed to give Manx Care some flexibility. So if they think they need to invest a bit more up front, they should be able to do that rather than saying, actually, I'm only allowed to spend X this year and I, I'd love to spend the money I've been allocated for next year, but it's too late. So there, there needs to be, and there are these conversations going on right now with Manx Care and uh, soon with the Treasury. Uh, so as part of this year's budget cycle, uh, we can be uh, making the case really to say this is why we need a slightly longer term approach. Uh, and to be honest, I don't think that's just restricted to health. I think other departments as well could do with more certainty uh, when it comes to forward looking around their, their budgets. So hopefully if we can get something agreed that works for, for Manx Care for Health, that may be a model we can then look to at other departments and say, well, how about something similar for, for other departments as well? Uh, around 18 years ago, um, the, the, the then health department was considering a proposal for, I think, to spend £8 million to get a revamped, up-to-date uh, IT system, mm. which would allow for things like uh, prescriptions being st- sent electronically from the doctor to the, the chemist. How, how close are we to that actually becoming a reality? So electronic prescriptions are, are a thing, um, and you'll know that yourself, because most of what you get when you get a prescription is not a handwritten slip, it's a, a printed electronic uh, document. Uh, the challenge comes to then how do you send that between various organisations? How do you share it between nobles and the pharmacy or between your GP and the local chemist? And uh, yes, if we had that in place, I think some of the issues we're facing in Ramsey this week probably uh, would be a little bit easier to manage. Uh, so yes, I, I don't know where that's up to, if I'm perfectly honest. I don't know why uh, it take the department I mean 18 years <laughs> for this is is uh, incredible actually for something that is relatively straightforward but I've had that conversation with the GPs quite recently actually and saying for me this is one of those things that I, I don't think it's going to cost a lot of money I don't think it's going to change the world but actually it will free up GP time it'll make patient experience better so we should be looking at how we do these things because even if it's only a small box that it ticks actually it could end up having uh, quite a positive impact really so uh, yeah it, it's 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 a tricky one, that, because it's been high on my list for a number of years, actually, getting electronic prescription sources. And, and, of course, sources. it's symptomatic of, of you know, if, if this is one obvious, simple, yeah. relatively cost, cost, you know, small cost thing, but there must be hundreds of these sorts of things that uh, that need to be acted upon. Yeah. And, of course, that's where the remit, the new remit for Manx Care hopefully kicks in, and all the management speak gives you the information to allow you to understand how effective you are being in delivering these things. One of the, 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 well, the, the, the key reason that I'd invited you on, and, and we've only got, uh, how have we got now, seven minutes left to talk about it, is the uh, capacity bill, which doesn't appear to have received an awful lot of uh, coverage either in the press or, or, or f- from your, your colleagues in, in Keys. I, I, I would have thought that something as fundamental and important as this uh, would have engendered a significant debate um, and there doesn't really seem to be much interest in this. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. So f- for me, I, we've been elected, and I say this to people quite a lot, we've been elected to do the sexy things and the boring things. And something like capacity is not going to grab headlines. It, it just isn't. Um, but it is really important, actually, because anyone could be affected by this. You know, anyone could have an accident or come down with an illness or a disease that means that you're not able to make decisions that are in your own best interests. And so having something on, on the books that's a law that says, hold on a second, if that happens to you, then this is how people have have to deal with you this is how people have to act to make sure your best interests are always paramount and are always being protected so that nobody can take advantage of you just because you happen to have, have come down with some kind of, of illness or had an unfortunate turn of events 
And so it's one of those things that almost you look at that and when you say that out loud, you think, well, isn't that already the case? And, and the answer is no, it, it isn't. And that's, that's you know, quite a, a big thing to get your head around, I think. And so it, whilst a lot of the principles in this bill are already existing in sort of common law and, and around and about the houses, this isn't something that we've ever really had in statute before on the Isle of Man. They have it in the UK and they have had for some time. And so it's, it's one of those things that you're doing it because it absolutely has to be done. Um, and you're right, the debate was uh, quite positive, I thought, what we, we did have. Um, I will acknowledge, though, we had a number of amendments that we, we brought to the bill and they were off the back of backbench uh, suggestions uh, of a workshop that we'd had for members uh, so i don't think it was a lack of interest really on their part i think it's that they're already said everything they wanted mm. to say and how, how do we because because you know I, I i get the idea that well that secret briefings they're not really secret briefings in that way but they are secret in as much as we don't get to find out what the questions um were at, that, that timble members were asking we don't understand what your answers were we don't understand the debate that's happened behind closed doors how do we encourage timble members not only to ask the questions in the, in the briefings but then also to go ahead and ask those questions on the floor of timbled or keys or ledgeco yeah and that's fair and that's something i've encouraged members to do actually is just because you've asked it behind the scenes if you want that answer again in public and mr thomas i think chris thomas was quite open about this he'd already had answers to all the questions he asked me when he asked them on the floor but he asked them again anyway because he thought it was important to be seen to be asking and to have those answers on the record and actually i don't disagree with him on that i mean sometimes it's a bit frustrating thinking and we've already given these answers out but actually you can understand the process really and this is one of the reasons i wanted to bring that mandate debate to tim Ward rather than having a briefing or a workshop or whatever you want to call it I thought, and, actually, and as let's far do it in public as far as the bill's concerned what are the fundamentals that are going to change as a result of this so the fundamental change legally is that what's currently called enduring powers of attorney will be replaced by uh, lasting powers of attorney. It's just a, a technical change, but it's there'll be a register, there'll be a lot more publicity around how these things work and how you can check them to make sure if people are engaging with you, saying, well, I'm acting on behalf of Mr. Gorn, you can make sure that they really are. Uh, but the key part of the bill, I think, is around the principles that are established. Um, and that basically, there, there are six principles, and they basically set out that... Um, you will you have capacity unless we can prove you don't is the, is the core one uh, and that and that actually whenever uh, you don't have capacity or there's a concern that you don't have capacity everything has to be done in your best interests and those are absolutely fundamental i think so that when you're talking about anyone making a decision on your behalf whatever their other reasoning might be whatever circumstances you might be in they can only act in your best interests that is the absolute bare minimum um, and i think that that's the, the key thing really that i would take away from the bill it, w worry about all the te technicalities further down the line but if anyone's listening about what are we trying to achieve it's to protect the best interests of people at a point in their life when they may be at the very most vulnerable and one of the the crucial findings uh, in relation to a similar um, uh, bill i think it was the mental capacity bill that was introduced yeah. in the uk was uh, that it's okay introducing legislation but you then need to make sure that practitioners understand the the impact of that legis yeah. legislation what what plans are in place for assuming that this bill receives uh, full support uh, what 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 how are you going to implement it yeah, that's a fair point. Actually, and I think I said something very similar in answer to Mr. Ashford's questioning around the autism uh, strategy. There's no point just having a bill or a strategy that sits on the shelf. You need to implement it. And so at the same time as preparing the bill, we've developed uh, what we're referring to as an implementation plan, which is basically a document that says this is how we're going to do it. Um, and that's been shared with Timwell members. Uh, my hope is that it will be available on the department website if it's not already. Uh, and that should be normal, I think, going forward. So if you have a bill, you should publish, well, what's the next step? After this gets passed, what do we do next? And so we're going to be doing that. And, and I would encourage 
encourage people to read that and provide feedback and thoughts and comments like, like you would with any other government document, I suppose. Uh, but no, you've, you're absolutely right. We can't just pass a bill and then walk away, wait, you know, job done. Uh, that can't happen. This has to be rolled out. There has to be training for staff, uh, for people that are working in these spaces. There'll have to be information out to lawyers who are dealing with the EPAs and LPAs and the legal side of, of capacity. We'll have to work with the courts to make sure that they're up to speed on what the law means and how it, how it should be implemented and if they need to develop court rules and processes as well to help some of these things. So there's a lot of work that follows uh, passing a bill. Uh, this is very much the first step in the process, uh, but I think it's a really important one. And is it your department that will be leading on, on this? And if so, have you got the budget to, to be able to fund all this training? Uh, yes, it will be our department that leads on this. It will be the Department of Health and Social Care. Obviously, this is very much in, in that arena. Um, and a lot of this training, I think, goes on anyway, if I'm perfectly honest, around the way things currently work. It's just updating that to make sure it's reflective of, of what the law now says. Uh, and I think the reality is, in practice, you know, medical practitioners and social workers are always acting in your best interest. That's always part of the job. So I don't think it'll be a fundamental change uh, to the way they, they operate, but it will give them, I think, a bit more certainty and a bit more of a legal backing as to when you have some of those more difficult decisions and difficult more grey areas, give them some clarity on some of that. So I don't, I'm not too concerned that this is going to be a budgetary issue. I think it is about time and about training and about support rather than how much money does it need to throw at it. I think there's a slightly different question here. And we're just about uh, at the end of the programme now. Um, and thanks for, for your comments. Last time we spoke, though, on agenda, I think uh, we were talking about you... Uh, uh, rushing through the, uh, the the legislation to allow for a complaints yes. procedure to be introduced um, in probably about 35 seconds. Um, how, how far have we got? Uh, so I've been advised that we have had permission to, to lay that for, for Timwald signing tomorrow. So hopefully if members in Timwald sign that bill tomorrow in Timwald, there'll be a supplementary order paper with the first set of regulations uh, tomorrow, or at least in the Timwald sitting this week, so tomorrow or Wednesday, depending on how long the sitting goes. And then the second set of regulations will follow in July, Timwald. So uh, we are absolutely on track. Well, that's uh, that's excellent. That was that was less than the thirty-five seconds I, I, I was giving you there. So, uh, uh, thanks very much, uh, Laurie, uh, for coming on the on the program. Um, I, I certainly be, feel better informed. Um, and um, as we approach the end of the program, I, I hope that you have enjoyed the show. Um, agenda won't be live next week, I don't think, but uh, I hope you've enjoyed that. Um, Please do get in touch with me, Phil Gorn, at uh, philgorn at manxradio.com if you have any thoughts and views on the programme, uh, or indeed if you have any ideas, questions that uh, you'd like me to ask some of our island's po- uh, politicians. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn. Guramayu. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.